the Holy Spirit gave us the Bible that one day we may read it and one day get to enter. But we find that the Holy Spirit is the one driving salvation today. Then that means that these qualities I'm talking about are the qualities that the Holy Spirit imparts on the church, on salvation, on Christian salvation. Meaning, they can only come from the Holy Spirit and help the church to be upright, to be in right standing with the Lord. With fierce biblical faithfulness, moral uprightness, separation or separateness, whichever. The quality of faithfulness the church ought to have now. But now, I want us to look at this very important quality of Christian salvation called God's unconditional love. Meaning that if we are going to be a church in this public, in the world, then when they look at us, they should be able to see God's unconditional love. If the church wants to minister to the dying world, God's unconditional love, then it's invariably so that we cannot go anywhere else to find that type of God's unconditional love except that we go to the Bible. If the church is going to minister forth God's unconditional love to the world, then she cannot give any other type of God's unconditional love except that one which is in the Bible. The Bible is our reference. He says, in the same context as we are dispensing or intending to minister the love, the unconditional love of God to the world, then we have another view of the Bible. And then we see another tower. And say so this time around, we see a tower that is located in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. And we will see that there's a lot, a big body of knowledge there and information that will nourish the church, will enrich in your lives, so that you may be able to bring God's unconditional love to the world. And that exact unconditional love, not any other. And then also, learn a lot about certain key features. What matters to your God? The God you so much love and serve. That is what we are seeing here. That there's a lot of learning of the nature of God. There's the learning of the things that matter to him and his ways. right? And in so doing, we may be complete in the revelation of God. And work for him right. Serve him right. right? Now, Genesis 22 verses 1 to 19 my subtitle says Abraham tested he says some time later God tested Abraham he said to him Abraham here I am he replied are you familiar with that calling Abraham and there's another one Abraham 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 here I am he replied then God said take your son your only son Isaac whom you love if I were you and I was reading this there are cues I pick from there. He says, you know definitely the only son, but he says, whom you love, not any other son, that one whom you love. You understand? Those are the key things to pull out there. Whom you love and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When they had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And then he says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. 
He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abram took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Hallelujah. Can I stop there and just describe a few things then? Okay, now you see what the Lord is building here is very powerful. He's going to build a very big lecture, a big sermon on this unconditional love, but he's going to anchor it on faith. But what he's saying is this. He's saying the same God came and spoke with Abraham that I'm going to give you a blessing. And that blessing will be a profound blessing, a big blessing. And that blessing will do a lot of things in your life. And then now the Lord comes back, the same God comes back now and says, okay, now take that Isaac, because you know that the mother was very old. All these things happened in such a way that, wow, finally I made it. At least now I have a son. That kind of thing. And then finally the Lord says, but take that one now and go and slaughter. So there are several issues that come up there because there are so many impediments that could have caused him to stop obeying the Lord because there was a promise spoken on this son. It was not said you slaughter him, then you get this and that. This slaughter was something that just came up. And then the other thing that you see out there, there are so many areas of impediment where that could have ended. That obedience, that uncommon obedience could have stopped because number one, the Lord speaks with him today and then he has a whole night to sleep over it. So many people, many of you, like I know you in the morning, could have changed your mind. But he did not change his mind. What shocked me is that he woke up and saddled the donkeys and went. So that shocked me so much because he could have changed his mind. He could have said, no, no, no. That thing has eaten me the whole night. I have discussed it with my wife. We are not going to do that thing. This time we are going to refuse. So he could have said that. Yeah, he could have said such a thing. And the next thing is, Abraham also walks for three days. You can walk the first day and change your mind. You can walk for the first day and change your mind. So I'm talking about the impediments to faith. There are so many roadblocks that could have come up. Hallelujah. Yes, you walk day one and say, I don't want. Day two, but he walked day one. He walked day two and day three. He still believed he has to do it. But we also know that this whole act the Lord was telling him to do amounted to occult, to satanic worship, to devil worship, to human sacrifice. So everything had it that he should not obey. The communities around were devil worshipping, and I'm even picking the idea that they may have stopped. They may have stopped doing that kind of human sacrifice. I know the Lord sent me to Mexico to stamp it out. This is what I'm talking about here. To a place called Cholula. The Pyramid of Cholula. There are some pyramids there. There, once a year, they slaughter. In fact, in fact, it is September 27th. Every year, they have to slaughter a human being. Normally, a virgin girl put on the wood and burn. So I was so upset that I stood there and I asked the Lord, do something that will shock them. Do something on this day that will shock them. So I went, I stood there. But what happened when that September came, that is when the comet came and almost hit the earth. 
And everybody panicked. And I told the Lord, do something on that day that will shock them. The comet, they call it the near miss. We almost hit the earth. And all the pastors were stunned who heard the prophecy that do something that will shock them. Because everybody was talking that if it hits, bye-bye human race. But they do that there. The Lord sent me there to rebuke human sacrifice at the Pyramid de Cholula. And then I did Limpiato Casa, which is clean your home in Spanish, which was cleaning a lot of witchcraft. People were bringing the snakes, the what, the everything. And it was a lot of cleaning and burning. But I'm saying that is occult. That is satanic worship, right? And so Abraham is going on to the third day. Look at what he says here. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, and I are there whom you love, not any other son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord would provide and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided, Jehovah Jireh, right? And the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, because the Lord is the higher authority, he has to swear by himself. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will possess cities and so forth. So that's where I want to begin from. That is the second tower that when you look at the Bible, then you find a tower that's exalted that actually demonstrates to you God's unconditional love to humanity, to the church. And in dissecting, in going through this, you'll find that there's a huge body of knowledge that is going to enrich our understanding of this God, his essentials, his requirements, and his ways. You understand? And the sole purpose is that once we know those, we can worship him right. In fact, we can give the reverence due him. That's the whole thing in a world that is pervert and has no fear of God. Abraham has so many places at which he could have refused to do this. The whole night thought about it, walk a distance. When the son asked him, where is the lamb? He could have said, oh, yeah, I can't touch this child. Also, when he was tying the child, you don't know how the child looked at him. Tying the child to put, he could have said, oh, yeah, I can't do this. There's so many places. But Abraham faithfully goes ahead to do this. And we see this is a very powerful example to begin with within itself. A powerful example that presents to us the fact that Abraham has a message for the church. 
Abraham was promised this son by the Lord. And all the blessings of Abraham were launched on this son, embedded, were carried by this son. And you consider his age also. This son came as a blessing last minute, sunset years. So you cannot say that if this one goes, I'll get another son. But even if you get another son, this is the son that the Lord pronounced as the blessing. And he said, all other nations will bless through this son. I want to ask you before we start. Look at this now. Abraham brings the whole son and everything, builds the altar on the mountain and puts firewood, ties the son, puts there. And look at this. And pulls out the knife and does this. Hallelujah. And at this place, the Lord stops him. Not on the first day of the journey. Not on the first day. Not after the journey of the second day. Walking all the way. All those days. Climbing up there. Not, hello, where are you now? Actually, we are just on the corner. I've just seen the mountain now. Please, don't stop it. Stop, stop right there. Just come back. Things have changed. Not that. Everything had gone until the altar had been built. Not, where are you? I'm already on the mountain. Have you put, have you cut the boy? No, actually I'm in the process of building the altar. Say, leave, leave, don't. I've just brought the stones. I was sitting and resting. So, he's saying, not at a point where I've just brought the stones to build the altar. And I, I, I was just tired. I was still resting. No, don't do it now. Please just come out. No. The altar had been built. And after building the altar, the wood had been put on the altar. The boy has been tied. Not, uh, I was just planning to tie. The boy said, don't tie him now. No. Had been tied and put there. Not that, oh, I, where are you now? I, I was looking for a knife. I don't know where I put the knife. Some of you would have said that. You say, ah, I think I've forgotten the knife back home. I, that means three days again. Some of you in your act, that's what I will pick. Oh yes, you'd have to find every reason. Especially if the child is asking in such a tremendous way. But the issue is, the altar has been built. The wood is already there. The child has been tied and put here. And not that he has not reached. He has reached out for the knife and he has done this. There's a reason I'm saying this. At this place, when he's supposed to cut, say, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch at this place. Some of you who are very wise already see where we are removed from. <laughs> huh? You are getting the message. Huh? Oh yes. At this place ready to the next thing is to cut, slice. Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. Don't hurt the boy. Don't touch him. And then Immediately, he has to untie the boy. Untie. And then a ram appears. Caught with his horns on the thicket. A ram is a male, perfect male, uncastrated sheep. A perfect male, uncastrated, meaning no defect. Then he takes and he offers. So the question is, who is this that Abraham slaughtered? Oh yes. Who is this that Abraham slaughtered? 
Huh? This is the Lord. That's why he said when he stood there after slaughtering, then he saw the vision of the day when the Messiah was crucified. This is not a joke. And he says, this builds another tower of the demonstration of God's unconditional love to the church, to mankind, to humanity, to the world. But what I want us to understand is this. Number one, Abraham had set all his hopes on Isaac. Abraham had been blessed, promised, and everything. And all of it was invested on this boy. He had set all his hopes on this boy. And remember, this boy is also his what? Firstborn son. The son of the promise. Number two, God's promise was to be delivered through Isaac. Meaning, even if he was to have a chance to have another son, that was not the promise. The Lord had said it was through Isaac, not anybody else. So you cannot say, ah, let me get rid of this, I will have another son. No, the Lord had spoken Isaac. I wanted to understand the gravity of what Abraham did. He had set all his hope on this son, all the promises. And then the Lord said, those promises will be delivered through this son, not another second one, this particular son, the one you are supposed to slaughter. Hallelujah. And the other point he brings forward is, God tested Abraham. Why does he test him? Why did he test him? He tested him so he may really test his faith. You understand? That he tested him because he wanted to test his faith. The faith. It was about faith. Hey, do you believe? I believe. I really believe. Do you have faith? Oh, faith I have. Okay, so I want to test how much faith exactly do you have? Something to crystallize and lay my hand over and know that this person has this amount of faith. This much. Politics aside. Oh yes. God ensured that Abraham understood one lesson. What is the lesson Abraham, the Lord ensured Abraham understood? Because I always give this example. I canceled the meeting to Chile. People in Canada called me and said, no, why do you cancel? The president, I've just spoken to the bishop, the president of the country was ready, the president herself is mobilizing, the TV stations are ready, everybody's ready, the bishop's council is ready, all the pastors, all the nation of Chile is ready. Why have you canceled? I received a message from where? From Canada. And they were talking, because people are going to attend, so they're talking. I canceled. The Lord told me, cancel it. A lot of, oh, no, 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 no. The president, the senate, what? And you know, there they do it big. Every machine is running. And then I said, I am not coming. This was my reply. Nobody can love Chile more than the Lord God himself who created Chile. Did you understand? So if he says, go next year, not now. Then he has loved them. He knows better. I cannot. You cannot argue for them. You cannot argue for him. That's the lesson Abraham learned. Abraham learned the following. He learned that for all his life he lived like this without a son. And he was really going. He was about to go. Sunset years. Without a son. 
and he had given up hope. In fact, to the extent that when the message was delivered, Sarah laughed. She said, how will that work? Then the God of heaven, looking from heaven, now decided, let me put a son in his life. The son came from where? The Lord. And Abraham said, Why, my son, I've been waiting so much, hugging. Now love the son so much. Finally got a son, last lap. Wow, happy, miracle. But, the Lord says, slaughter the son. Go and kill the son. No, but I love because your son, whom you love, take that son, and he says, his name is Isaac. He points exact. You understand? Not any son. And he says, whom you love. That's why I always like to emphasize, whom you love. And he says, go and slaughter him. You can say, no, but the Lord, I love him so much. You cannot. That's the lesson Abraham learned. He learned, first of all, the son came from Jehovah. Number two, the son came as a covenant of my faithful worship. Worshipping the Lord. Out of keeping the covenant came the son and the blessing. And so, I did not have the son. I did not. Then God brings. So, I cannot claim to love the son more than God himself who created the son. Do you understand the lesson he learned? That's a big lesson to today's church. It's a very big lesson to the church of this day. He's saying, however precious, however mighty the blessing and the promise is that God has given you. Are you able to lay down the blessing for the sake of worshipping and obeying the blesser? Are you able? But today's church is not able. Oh yes, the way they love the blessing, no way. Today's church cannot. She's flesh. She's carnal. She's reasoning of now, this kind of life. And Abraham is reasoning in another realm. He's ready to do the unspeakable. He's saying, no. Nobody can ever love any human being more than the Lord Jehovah that created that human being. That's what Abraham is saying. Hallelujah. So the other point that comes out is this. The Lord tested Abraham's faith to the limit. To the limit. Meaning, any moment beyond there, it can snap. Take your son and slaughter. To the limit. Meaning, any moment beyond there, you might just say, uh -uh, Lord, my heart, you know. You know I love you. If this is the way leading to heaven, let me use another way. <laughs> that is what Abraham could have said. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. When you stretch it the limit, it can snap. He can say, Apana, for slaughtering my son. No. No, 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 no. I don't slaughter him. Abraham's faith was tested to the limit. Abraham's fear of the Lord was tested to the limit. Those are the points. Can this church withstand it? <laughs> the same God of Abraham. But what is most powerful here is that at the end of it, heaven spoke. Which means heaven approved of Abraham's faith. Heaven, not man. 
And so, right away, you can almost tell Abraham asking, are you worshipping the God of Abraham? Asking the present day church. But if you are worshipping the God of Abraham, there are certain parameters, certain requirements, essentials. And he's saying, are you worshipping my God, the God of Abraham? If you are worshipping the God of Abraham, look at this now. Man, the earth, the world. And then he says, whatever the mountain, the hurdle, you can never tread off anything, however difficult this may be. You can never tread off or forego the approval of heaven. However difficult. Just do it that heaven may approve of you. Because that is the treasure. Not this one here. The now here, now the pain, the whatever. He said, no, just do it. However difficult, whatever the Lord is telling you to do. He's saying, if it is going to earn you the approval of heaven, please do it. That's the message he's sending the church. We're beginning now to deal slowly by slowly with the message. But let's move on. The other lesson that Abraham learned is the following. The knife. About to cut. Then at the thicket, the ram. Abraham developed a deeper understanding, a deeper revelation on the surety that the Messiah paid for the church. Can I repeat that? Through this trial, Abraham developed a deeper understanding of the ransom, the surety I called it, the ransom that the Messiah paid for us. And look at this now. At the slaughter point. When he was supposed to cut his son. Could it be that that Isaac is you? That was supposed to be slaughtered? Then the Messiah appeared? Huh? In the nick of time. By a whisker. He now developed how significant and important. Look at this level here, this point. How significant that the Messiah did it. He developed now a deeper, he crystallized it really. He understood that, wow, it was so important. Because I would have slaughtered the boy. Oui. Huh? Now, if you look at Abraham's paradigm of faith, his construct of faith, after that encounter, on Mount Moriah, from that day on, Abraham knew God differently. In fact, he developed a deeper understanding of the God he so loves and serves. In a different way totally now. You can imagine. In fact, it is said when we read further on, he left from that point on and went straight to Beersheba. And when you go to Beersheba, he dug the well of Abraham there. Beersheba. Big tourist site. People come. I was at the Ben Gurion University of the Negev, Beersheba. People come from all over the world to see the well of Abraham. He dug it there. He left and went in that direction. But the issue is this. From that day on, he understood God differently. And that's why I'm coming to his paradigm of faith. From that day on, Abraham incorporated into his model of faith, he incorporated now Jehovah Jireh. It was so traumatic he could not let go. I mean, how do you forget? So now he put it inside his faith. 
And that's why he said, on the mountain the Lord shall be provided. Now he was talking those terms. You understand? He was talking terms of, wow, God will never fail you on that mountain. Now he incorporated Jehovah now, a different aspect of Jehovah now, became part of his daily household name, language, whatever. Hallelujah. That God provided, we, it would have been bad. What was going to happen was bad. Yeah? When you look at the way Abraham came up to Mount Moriah, and then, after that whole episode, look at this now. He left now to be a shaver. When he went towards Beersheba, the Abraham that came to Mount Moriah and the Abraham that left were two different Abrahams. Two different Abrahams. The one that came to Mount Moriah, his faith had not been tested. The one that left Mount Moriah, his faith was now seasoned. Let me talk about character instead of faith. He now had a different character. So Abraham is asking the church, how come you cannot allow the Lord to do with you, the God of Abraham, to do with you as he has done with me? Because only through this testing and trial did my character be formed. Until I became the father of faith. Only through this I became the father of faith. With another character. A statured character. A higher character. A stronger character. And Abraham is saying that even the Christian character. The church. Only through such trials can the Christian character be molded. Be formed. Be built. And so he's asking, why is it that you cannot allow the Lord to test you? The present day church that is so much sensational fears trial. What amazes me is that Abraham talks with the Lord, he gets the promise, gets the son, comes here. But when he lives now, now he has developed a deeper knowledge on the God he serves. So even the church if the present day church wants to develop a deeper understanding, a deeper knowledge of the God that they serve, they have to submit to this kind of trial. Did you understand me? Abraham is beginning to dispense a certain gospel to the church. And he's saying, he learned one thing. Look at what he learned. He learned that the God of Abraham is the God of true faith. True. Not siasa, rhetoric, politics. Oh, I believe. How much do you believe? True faith. True. Abraham is telling the church of Christ today that worships the God of Abraham that his God, the God of Abraham, is a God of true faith, not rhetoric. Not some imaginary faith. We cannot measure. We cannot know how much. Everybody in some chorus, generic noise. Say, oh, we believe. He said, no, how much? He say, the God of Abraham, his God, is the God of true faith. The other point is this. Abraham is telling the church that if his God is the God of true faith, then he's saying this. He's saying true faith is tested faith. True faith is tested faith. Nothing else. You cannot just come here with some untested faith and say, oh, do you believe? I believe. And Abraham is then asking the church, if it is true 
that my God is the God of true faith, which means the God of tested faith, then how come you are not allowing my God to test you? Can I give examples here? The same God of Abraham, if you go to the book of Exodus, we are going to come back to Genesis. That's our reference scripture. But if you go to the book of Exodus, Exodus 14, 13 to 14. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. Are we together? Meaning, true faith is tested faith. After it has been tested, now I know this is true faith. Because I have some figures I can work with. I have data. But let's turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. Are we there now? Then he says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never ever see again. The Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is to be still. Can I explain? Look at this now. For Christ's sake, they have come with women and children. Women and children for Christ's sake. They have come with them like this, like this. And then they come to Boom, the Red Sea. There's no crossing, Red Sea. For Christ's sake, we have women and children here. That's how people put it. And then, when you look this way, you see ISIS with blazing fire. Islamic State is, you know, they just, they call it harassing fire. Just blazing fire. They just chop a fire, then they are coming. So they are just, they are coming to you. There is a sea here. And you have children, women and children here also. For Christ's sake, we have women and children here. That's how it would have been put. Al-Shabaab is coming with blazing fire and chains. Eh? Chains of bullets. They're, you know trigger happy. They're, some of the fire, they're just shooting to harass you. According to the military terminology. Boko Haram is coming with blazing fire. That is how the Egyptians were at them. And here is the sea. You cannot go back. Blazing fire, Al-Shabaab, ISIS. They don't care. They want to lose. And you, you want, they know you want to keep your life. So they are doing it to you. Panic. What shall we do? Hey, hey, stay calm. For it's like saying, sit down and take some porridge, please. Hey. <laughs> For Christ's sake, we have women and children here. Stay calm. Be firm. And wait and see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. All you need to do is be still. The Egyptian army you see today, never ever again will you see them. And then the sea opened. And they crossed, and then the others were swept. The ISIS, the whatever. Meaning, the same God of Moses is also the God of true faith. The God of tested faith. Do you understand? I see you worshipping the God of Moses, the God of Abraham. So Abraham is asking, how come you can't see that even from Moses, even Moses who is ahead of you there, whom you have seen, his model is well exhibited in the Bible. That God is still the same God of tested faith. That is the thing he can lay and say, I have something now. Now I have some faith. I feel it. It is something. I can work with it now. If someone asks me, I say I have some figures. Hmm? I have faith now. And he's asking the church. 
How come the present day church that is worshipped in the God of Abraham? One little thing touched them. They are running to hospitals to where they are crying to everybody. Everybody knows this church. Excuse me. Are you worshipping the God of Abraham? And the Lord is saying, hey, you are even running to non-believers. I am the one doing it. Just be still. Be still. When will you have your faith tested? When? Today's church psychologists, psychiatrists, who are small things, they're running here and there. When will you wait for the Lord? Why don't you give God an opportunity to be God in your life? Ah! If you look at the standards Abraham set, today's church cannot measure. Cannot. Cannot reach. Actually, she, she, by the way, her faith is not tested. Yeah, it's not tested. You try test like this, that's it. Where's the apana? At this point, I've snapped. I can't follow this road anymore. That is the condition of the church today. Oh, yes. Some of you are about friends. Some of you are my colleagues are what? What is wrong with you? When will you stand for God? Look at the man of God since he came. He stood like this. He stood like this. Regardless, he don't care nothing. It doesn't matter. Until God came through for him and the cloud even visited him. Excuse me. And he stood alone in the eye of the storm. The blackmail from media, blackmail from churches, blackmail from the nation, blackmail from everybody. How can you stand that? How can you stand that to a people whom you brought the healing of the Lord? Creepers are walking. HIV is healed. Big things that have not happened elsewhere. How can you stand? How can you stand the mockery? How? Did you understand me? Abraham is saying, if you are worshipping the God of Abraham, submit to the test that he may test that faith and find out exactly how much it might help you. And Abraham says that in all the love of everything, the love of God Almighty remains supreme and above all else. Do you understand that? Yeah. In trying to love child, love what? The love of God should be supreme and above everything else. Yes, I should just love God. He should teach you however bad it becomes. You say, no. If you don't accept to give me 20%, we're going to auction your house. You need to bribe me. You say, uh -uh, I think let the house go. Uh -uh, let, let the house just go. You really, really, let me stand with God. Yeah? Do you understand what Abraham is saying? Within contextual, within the context of this life, of today's church. Maybe it's your job. If that man is asking me to do this, let me just stay without, 10 years I've stayed without a job. Let me just continue. I thought I'd gotten a job. I'd announced to people I was now preparing. Again, I'm back on the road. But I will not reject my God. I will not love another. Because it says, in the loving of everything else, the love of God is supreme. It's above all else. Supremacy of that love. Abraham demonstrated it very well to the extent of doing Human sacrifice, devil worship, slaughter child, slaughter son. A own son cut the neck and so much blood. And then you understand. Can we move on now? 
Abraham teaches the church a lesson on faithfulness. Now, can I start step by step here now? If you look at what Abraham has done, it's as if you want to redefine faith. Yeah, because now I don't understand this thing. Involving slaughtering of son. Wait. So, Abraham defines for us faith. He defines for this church faith that we may stop that politics and rhetoric and saying anything. How does he define faith? Look at what Abraham says. He says, faith is being able to reproduce yourself repeatedly over and over again, no matter the circumstances. Meaning I call you at 2 a.m., you are the same. You can never say, I am tired. January to January 24-7. Being able to reproduce yourself over and over again, no matter the circumstances. <laughs> Hallelujah. Abraham brings reality to the church. But when I look at today's church, that is a rebuke to the church. You are changing too much. Today you have changed a little bit. The mood is different. I, for me, you will always find me in this high. Ever since the Lord called me, I've been on this high forever. 2 a.m. Because when the prayer request comes, it has to be attended to. That is why you said yes to the calling. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that's the difference between this ministry and the others where they take vacation, switch your phones. Ah, this is now my private time with my family. No. Jesus had no private time. Not even on that cross. Oh, yes. So he's saying, when I call, and then I say, please, can you call the other person? And then another SOS comes at 3.15. I call you, you are still picking the phone. Some of you now cannot be found. How are you going to do ministry like that? So now Abraham is redefining faith. He said, no, we have to be able to be consistent. That's what he's saying. Reliable. That's what he's saying. Trustworthy. Reliable. Trustworthy. Meaning, tomorrow I find the same thing. Hallelujah. Consistent. Persistent, resilient, reproducing, trustworthy, reliable. That is the meaning of faithfulness to the Lord. Abraham teaches us that a faithful person can never ever have doubt. In other words, faithfulness must be without doubt. When you look at today's church, they come. They want you to pray for them. They think of a witch doctor. Or they're telling of this other thing. They're panicking here. So there is no faith. Sometimes there is a problem in the present church. She has no faith. She has doubt. Doubt and faith don't go together. Abraham says to the church. If he had doubted a second, he could have slaughtered a son. He could have probably slaughtered a son. Or he could not even be the father of faith. No approval of heaven. Hallelujah. The other definition he puts here, I need to run very fast. Faithfulness, even by his name, Abraham says, is the ability to be able to keep the secrets of God. Now I am coming to the servants. I'm slowly coming to the pastors of today. Because now he introduces the word faithful. Faithfulness means you can also be entrusted with the secrets of heaven. The secrets of the kingdom. Faithfulness 
requires extreme carefulness. Meaning, you cannot live carelessly. If you want to be faithful, Abraham says to the church, there is no way you can live carelessly. Then you are going to flout the rules. You are going to slide off the faithfulness. Careful. And if you follow the way Abraham handled the relations with the Lord, he was really prudent and very careful. He understood that, you know, this is God I'm dealing with. He, he still remains God. You make a mistake, you can face the consequences of judgment, right? That was very clear. And Abraham tells us, only the faithful will get this statement from the Lord. Well done. Well done. Meaning, well done my faithful servant. Can you move on now? Abraham teaches us also that without faithfulness to God, there can never be any covenant. <laughs> huh? Be careful now. We have a covenant with the Lord. Without faithfulness to the Lord, there can never be a covenant with the Lord. In fact, he's coming to a place where he's defining salvation using faithfulness. Without faithfulness, there can never be salvation. Because he says, Christianity, salvation, is based on first having faith that God is. God is Jehovah. And the next thing is that Christ Jesus went to the cross and forgave our sins. You have to have faith that he did that. So really faith begins to slowly creep into the dead center of Christianity. Out of this act of being faithful to the Lord to the extent can slaughter. He's now ministering the church very slowly but very strong. He's telling the church that the true meaning of salvation actually is faithfulness to the Lord. Without faithfulness there is no salvation. So then he's asking why are you fooling around with faithfulness? Why are you unfaithful? If that is the match that faith accounts for your salvation. Hallelujah. Based on faithfulness, the Lord died on the cross and forgive sins, which I mentioned already. And he says, faithfulness is the vehicle, is the means by which the church can keep the covenant with the Lord. Salvation is faithfulness. In fact, it's about faith. The Christian faith. Hallelujah. Even among the Ten Commandments, the first two are about faith. That's just how serious it is to the Lord. Even among the Ten Commandments, the first two underscore the gravity of faithfulness. Faithfulness to the Lord. He starts by just talking about faithfulness. Hallelujah. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And they say, you shall not have any other God before me. You shall not make for yourself idols. And so. so you see that. Meaning, you shall be faithful to me alone. Even within the Ten Commandments, the first two are faith. Just to underscore how serious it is to the Lord. The act that Abraham did underscores it. He says, look, how important faith ought to be in your relationship with the Lord. Mine was important. Saved the son, gave me approval from heaven, and I began to understand my God deeper. 
and became the father of faith. Hallelujah. Because he's saying, don't create another God. Don't worship another, whatever. But if you put together all that, he's saying, I don't want competition. Did you understand? Meaning, Abraham is telling the church, this unfaithfulness you are showing is essentially competition. You are bringing another God to compete with Jehovah. A jealous God. He's warning you. This thing you are doing, he calls it promiscuity. Spiritual promiscuity. The gravity of unfaithfulness. That means you are subjecting the Lord to another competition here. Even in your marital relationships. If a wife or a husband decides to go to another woman, it's like the husband is now subjecting this other woman to a competition. Whichever way. And if you can feel so, how much more the Lord? And if you know how he feels, you'll avoid it. Hallelujah. Welcome to the jealous God of Israel. And he says, Abraham underscores the benefits of faith. Which I want to handle. And one of them is the following. Right off the cuff, they call it. Is the fact that if you are faithful to the Lord on that day, you will not suffer the judgment of God. That's the first benefit, really. Right there. Right there. Because he says, welcome, my good and faithful servant. The faithful one. You have kept the faith. You have been faithful. You've kept the, the salvation. The relationship is intact. Integrity. You didn't go elsewhere. You didn't mess up things. Number one, I said, those who are faithful on the day of judgment, the day the Messiah comes for the church, they will escape judgment and they will go into the eternal peace with God. That's the first off the cuff. Anybody can tell that benefit. Because he says, he comes and says, well done, my good and faithful. The first one, escaping judgment. Everybody wants to escape judgment. That they may enter the eternal kingdom of God. So Abraham brings that very clearly to the church. That his faithfulness earned him a place in the history books of heaven. Earned him entry. Into the kingdom of God. The father of faith. You can imagine his position. And we are talking about faith. The Christian faith. Everything is on faith. Hallelujah. Can we go to the book of Psalm 37 verse 22. Let me get there too. Psalm 37. Another benefit. Psalm 37 verse 22. And he says. For the Lord loves the just. And he will not forsake the faithful ones. That is very powerful. It's almost what Daniel is saying in Daniel 12. When he says, but for those whose names will be found written in the book, no matter the distress. You can almost see what the Lord is saying. That for those whose names, will be, meaning the faithful ones, will be found written in the book, they will not suffer the horrendous consequences of the distress. Even the tribulation, they will not. You can almost tell how bad the tribulation is going to be. From Ebola and ISIS and name it. If this is just a preamble, then you can imagine. If what we have is a preamble, is an introduction. ISIS and Syria and name it. And Ebola. And the vomit has come in the earthquakes and name it. Because the Bible says he will be able to call for plagues as many times as he wishes. And to call down earthquakes onto the earth as many times. As he wishes. Another one is Proverbs 28 verse 20. Proverbs 28 verse 20. Another benefit. 
of being faithful as Abraham presents the church today. He said, a faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. He's saying, as much as we have eternal benefits from faithfulness, the way we saw accruing to Abraham, however, faithfulness also makes our lives on the earth here more comfortable. Do you understand the message he's saying? He's saying, even on the earth, you will not suffer. And you are the testimony to that. And sometimes things are bad elsewhere on the other side of the coin. People are talking different things. So they're in that situation where even provision is a problem. So he's saying, faithfulness allows the Lord to bless you also with what you need for now, here and now, as much as it earns you eternity with God. Oh, what an all-round character that Abraham presents the church. Because Abraham gets to enter. Through him the Messiah comes. Another benefit is Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Revelation 2 verse 10. And he says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even the point of this, and I will give you the crown of life. So he's telling us that if you need a vehicle that will allow you to pass through any kind of trial and testing, whatever it is, it is faith. But Abraham presents it so well that only faith allowed him to pass through a situation where he has to slaughter a son. Have you people even envisaged that, what it means? To take your own child and put it on the table and start to cut. Really, sometimes you think it's a novel. No. And for him to pass through that, only faith. That's what he's saying. Faith will allow you to pass through a lot of things. And strong. And emerge stronger. Like he did. And had to be a shaver. <laughs> Hallelujah. When Abraham uses his experience to build a tower of God's unconditional love, I asked a question. Who was that supposed to be slaughtered? It is me. It is you. But the surety was paid from the thicket he brought and he slaughtered now. And I was let free. You were let free. Those are big lessons. That is now the gospel that focuses on the cross. Proverbs 16, 6 to 7. Okay? Proverbs 16, 6 to 7. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. First of all, the experience of Abraham talks about the cross. It was on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where everything happened. And you know what happened there eventually? Abraham stood and saw the Messiah was slaughtered there eventually. And the life of the Messiah also has a parallel story of faithfulness to the Father. Even unto the point of the cross. But the life of the church should also speak faithfulness on those who will be faithful, their sins will be atoned. It's on the cross. He's saying, if you are entrusted with the things of the kingdom, you must show faithfulness. The sheep must see that you're faithful. The world must see that you're faithful. So he's speaking very carefully here. He's saying, if we are the ones entrusted with the gospel, then the world, when they see us, they must see faithfulness. 
Do you understand what Abraham brings to the church? So I wonder what this is that we see on TV. Caught in the house or in a hotel room with a woman. What? That image is not right. That image of the pastor is called unfaithful image. You understand? He's saying, if we are entrusted, for me, the way I put it is different in my notes when I was writing for you after I read it. I said, if we are entrusted with the gospel, you understand? Because only the gospel can take people to the kingdom, right? If we are entrusted with such a noble gospel, a novel, powerful gospel, then in our practice and what and everything, we must be not only found, but seen to be faithful. Hallelujah. So that the world may see that, ah, that is a servant of the Lord. Let me run to him and find help. That's all he's saying there. That is the message now. He's resonating to the church, to the pastor. You are the pastor. And so the question then becomes, what is it in your life that has presented unfaithfulness? Whatever it is, remove it. So you can always stand faithful, faithful, faithful. And I always tell people that the true salvation of Christ is what you do when you are alone. Oh, yes. What you do when you are alone. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. What you do when you are alone. And so the question then becomes, what is it in your life that has presented unfaithfulness? Whatever it is, remove it. So you can always stand faithful, faithful, faithful. <laughs>